Wow. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church, and uh, good to have you with us. I just want to remind you that, you know, after church, we're going to be having some chicken wings at our wing fling, and hope you'll you'll stick around for that. Uh, great, great to be together, isn't it? Great to be together. Uh, Easter was fantastic last week, and I do want to say thank you to Sue and to Chuck, who decorated the stage and got it all ready for us, and what a powerful, yeah. A powerful uh, object lesson for us, you know. So uh, it was great. You know, we we were we've spent 15 weeks, the first 15 weeks of the year, focusing on uh, Jesus and who He is. And today we're going to start a series. We're going to shift this focus and start looking at the lives of the 12 apostles. We're calling this series the 12. And you might be asking. Or asking yourself a couple of questions. One, why are there 12 blanks to fill in? There's 12 points today? Yeah. But that, there's another question we want to talk about here. Why, why should we look at the lives of these 12 apostles? And let me give you three up here on the screen, just to, to you can jot down if you'd like. Okay, the first reason we're wanting to look at this is because Jesus places great importance on the 12. I didn't know this, but look what he says here in Matthew 19. I did not know this. A passage, I somehow have overread it. He says to him, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sets on his glorious throne, you'll be, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I mean, Jesus is telling the twelve, he says, listen, you, you know, you're important, so important, I'm going to honor you by letting you actually rule the 12 tribes of Israel, when I come back. In fact, he, he's talking about God's people. In Revelation, it talks about uh, that their names are written on 12 stones. So if Jesus honors the 12, shouldn't we honor them by looking at their lives? It makes sense. Number two, the 12 demonstrate how Jesus feels about his followers. You want to know how Jesus feels about you? If you're following Christ, just look at how he treated and how he how he felt about his disciples. Here in John 13, they're having a meal together, and he, he begins to realize some things. And look at this passage here up on the screen. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. And oh, and how he loved his disciples. He washes their feet. And we learn that, that that's how Jesus feels about the twelve. Well, he feels about you the much the same way, if not exactly much the same way, because you are a follower of Christ. And the third reason we should look at these lives of these disciples is the 12 define what following Jesus is like. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian? Simply look at the lives of these 12. Look what the Bible says. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, he must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And we see the lives of these guys, these 12 men, and how they follow Christ. We we learn this is what it means to be a follower. So let's get into these 12 lessons. And some of these points we're going to make today uh, are, are may not we may not cover in a sermon itself. But as I started thinking about, uh, you know, all the things we can learn from the 12, I had 20, and I had to narrow it down to 12, okay? So... Appreciate that hard work, okay? Let's look at these. Number one, lesson number one, I don't have to have it all together to follow Jesus. Aren't you glad? 
I'm so glad. You don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have to be a perfect person. I know there's some people you go, man, you know they're a Christian because they do never do anything wrong. Really? You really believe that? Come on. No one's perfect. The Bible says no one's perfect. Okay, so, and if there's anything we know about the 12 is these guys did not have everything figured out. They were not perfect. They weren't even professionals. Look at this passage here in Acts 4. These, uh, the Sanhedrin and these leaders are seeing the lives of Peter and John. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, you don't have to be perfect to be with Jesus. In fact, the more imperfect you are, the more he wants you around. Because you display the power and glory of God most when you're in the rough. You're a diamond in the rough. He's not interested in... He doesn't have room for perfect people. He has no interest in perfect people. Didn't he say, I come to call the sick, not the well? And so Jesus, if you say, well, I'm not very, Tim, I've got a lot of hang-ups. I got a lot, I'm messed up. You're a perfect candidate for following Jesus. You can't, you're not off the hook. Well, I'm not very talented, you know, and I'm not very gifted, so I'm going to sit here and, no, 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 no. You're, God wants to use you the most. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Sorry, but that's how it is. And then I think it's awesome. I think it's great. You don't have to be perfect. I mean, think about this. Peter had a mouth on him. Thomas had doubts. And even Nathan was a little critical. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, come and see. Okay. We don't have to have it perfect uh, or be perfect. In fact, following Jesus helps us put it together when you stop and think about it. That's the first thing. Number two, following Jesus is about becoming like Jesus. A lot of people get the impression that being a Christian is about checking off rules and following rules and obeying laws, but it's more of an outlook than a behavior, a particular type of behavior. In other words, following is not just a veneer of mannerisms and behaviors. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Look what Jesus says in John 6 here. Every disciple will be like his teacher. Have you ever had anybody say to you, you know, you act just like your mother, father, or some teacher, or some neighbor, or some church member? Why is that? Why you, you're acting like them. You've been around them that much. I've been told that married couples, as they grow older together, they begin to look like each other. My wife is terrified. I don't know what to think of this. Your pets, you start looking like your pets. Oh, you know, we, we become like what we're around the most. It's true with Christianity as well. But see, Jesus is not necessarily saying, I want you to act like me. He wants you and I to live like him, not to be him, to become him. It's being like him. And that's something we learn from the disciples. We see this progression where they slowly become less and less of themselves and more like Christ to where people even notice this about them. Number three, every follower of Jesus is significant. I think that's so important. 
because I know, you know, our culture, Hollywood, churches, we seem to have this, this uh, thing about personalities and who's got the attention, you know, and the people that stand out and, and uh, you know, whether it's we go to school this way. I used to, by the way, I used to, and I was, I don't know what happened. I used to whisper when I'd speak until I was in the third grade. Tim, that's weird. I know. I was terrified of people, terrified to talk in front of people. Obviously, I've gotten over that. But I, what I notice is, is that we tend to focus on the loud, the colorful. Am I right? The talented, the successful. And it's those in the background we don't notice because they're, uh, well, in the background. <laughs> That's why we don't notice them. Look at this passage here in Mark 15. And there was also women looking on afar off. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Less. Now, there are three Jameses in the Twelve. And there's lots of confusion. I challenge you to start doing some Googling on these guys and you're gonna, your eyes are gonna cross and smoke's gonna come out of your left ear because nobody really can keep these guys straight. But there's a fellow by the name James the Less. What's that mean? Well, he's not one of those Bible characters that most of us hear about and even the Bible covers. He's not on the level of Moses or Joseph or David. No, he's one of them obscure people and his name may mean He's smaller than everybody else, less stature. It could be that he's younger. In other words, he's just not as old and mature, so he's a little younger in that sense. And it also can mean he's just one of those obscure people. Like I told you before, we tend to, even in the church, we tend to focus on the charismatic. We tend to focus on those that get the, the loudest and clearest and whatever you want to call them. They seem to, you know, look at that family, look at that servant, look at that person. Uh, in fact, we, we are sometimes driven when we're volunteering. I want to be out front. I want to be seen. Uh, I remember years ago, I said something about nobody's ever said to me, I'm, I'm talented, gifted in cleaning toilets. And when I said that statement, Lois McCain, she was McCain at the time, met me at the back doors. I'm talented at cleaning toilets. Well, I can't say that anymore, Lois. She just blew that whole thing out of the water. And she began to clean the bathrooms for years here. I really appreciate that in her. She, willing, I don't have to be up front. I, I hear some of you, I'll say, you're gifted, you ought to speak. Oh no, I'm not gifted. I like being behind the scenes. And then you have some people, they'll say, uh, 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 Gary Wolf was saying to me at, uh, Roundhouse this week, uh, John's, uh, dad says, I've got the gift of gab. And I said, you realize then your words are so important and you ought to use that gift to encourage others. And he was like taking, I didn't expect a sermon to him. But, 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 that's the, but the thing is, some of us are talkers, some of us are not. And we, get, we tend to think the talkers are important and the flashy people and the singers are important. You know, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I can't, I understand. You know, I've, I've sung next to some people and I go, wow. They're making a joyful noise now. You can't. It, it, it can throw you off. I understand that. And we don't. We think I don't want to do that to anybody else. I want. I got news for you. Most of the kingdom is made up of people that are obscure. Most of the kingdom is made up of people behind the scenes. Most of this church is the same way. Just think about it. And I want you to know, if you're one of those behind the scene people. You would call it, you consider yourself a wallflower. 
Jesus Christ says, you are significant. He picks a guy named James the Less. And he, we don't know anything else about him. It's possible he appeared to Jesus in person based on what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. There's possibility that there's his mark. I'll tell you something, church. He selected James the Less. He wanted James the Less. You following me? If you feel insignificant, oh, God wants you. Jesus wants you as a follower because you make up most of the kingdom. Without you, without you, the church can't go forward. Oh, people can bark out orders and people can say, let's go this way. But without the rest of us, we're not going anywhere. I think that's awesome to know that. Because, because if Jesus, because Jesus selects you as a follower, that means you are significant. Number four, being called to follow Jesus is an honor. You don't have anything to be ashamed of by following Jesus. A lot of people are today. They're afraid to talk about Christ. Afraid they're going to be rejected, shamed, downplayed, whatever you want to call it. But it's an honor. I don't know how it ever happened to you, but years ago when I was a little kid, the neighborhood, we would get together and play baseball or and sometimes maybe try soccer. It wasn't a big game when I was a kid. But sometimes we would play this game called Army. And what we'd do is we'd turn the neighborhood into a big battleground and we'd choose up sides. You know, Charles, you know, and man, I, I here I am five years old and we're all in a group and I'm with guys like Donnie Compton and and uh, Hershey Carlson and these are big guys and Rod Inskeep and you know, some of these guys are like, uh, you know, uh, eighth graders, you know, uh, sixth graders. Here I am, kindergarten, and we're, and here comes my older brother Mike, and here comes, you know, uh, Scott Inskeep or, or uh, Rod Inskeep, and, and they go, okay, we're choosing up sides to play army. I want you, ah, I want you, yeah, I want you. And then they got done, and they took off, and I'm still standing there. I'm going, what about me? What side am I on? Oh, well, you can be, I guess you can be on their side. No, we don't want Tim. I go home. You ever felt like that? Nobody even wants to select it. Nobody even wants to choose you. But I remember the first time. I remember the first time I got chosen. And then Danny's over there crying because they're not choosing him, you know. I'm on this team and I'm, you know, we didn't high five. We just shook hands and nodded back then. You know, we were excited. You know, I was so excited to be selected. It was such an honor. I want you to know this morning, church, Jesus calls you to follow him and you respond to that call. You don't hang your head in public. It's an honor that Jesus wants me. He wants you. He wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be a part of his family. You see, um, one of the reasons I, I don't think we should be ashamed of being a Christian is because it takes intelligence to follow Jesus. It takes courage to follow Jesus. It takes humility to follow Jesus. Any fool can say there is no God. Any fool can say, I'm not interested in what the Bible has to say. 
That's so foolish. See, anybody can do that. But it takes somebody who's intelligent that says, I believe this to be true and reasonable. And such courage to do something that everybody else thinks is ridiculous. And so when you walk out of here today and you start carrying yourself, I'm not saying go around and slap somebody upside the head and say, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, No, but I think you should carry yourself, not only with humility, but a, a sense of gratitude that Jesus Christ has called me to follow him. We are, you and I are, the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and we're here to change the world. There's no other group that's got this mission like you and I. And Jesus Christ says, I think you're the kind of person I want to do this job. He trusts you and I with this job. Praise God. So we're being being called to follow Jesus is an honor. Number five, following Jesus involves helping others and helping others follow. Look what he says to these disciples. He says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. You see, the, the, the 12 learned, they learned something. And they learned that Jesus wanted to, to bless more than just themselves. He wanted to do more than just bless their life. He wanted them to take and the blessings they've received and use them to bless other people. That's why they would drop their nets or change careers or go places they'd never been or they'd be generous, sacrificial, change their priorities and see, this is what, is this what we're about here? Isn't this what Greater Alton's about? That's what it should be. You know, we, we, we should be these people that help others find Christ. Our greatest years, our greatest moments have been when there's more and more of us that have come to church, that, that come to a small group, that that don't just sit and go, what are you going to give me? Yes, you do, and I receive. But it's not about just getting this. It's getting it, receiving it, in order to learn how to give it, to use it. See, we can't keep it all to ourselves. We were blessed to bless other people. And that's what we learned from the disciples. Yeah, they, they were selfish and they learned to let go of themselves so they could bless other people. I was looking at something this morning, just a real quick tidbit. What are some sources of trouble in our life? Sometimes trouble comes from me being rebellious. Sometimes trouble comes from others. And some trouble comes from following Jesus. And some trouble comes when I'm trying to help other people. And I'll tell you what, church, I've been resistant to that trouble. To go through inconvenience and trouble to help somebody else. Just stop and think about that. How often have you found yourself, like me, going, I don't want to go through that. Oh, man, that's going to be a hassle. And it's to help somebody, though. And it's something that the Bible expects. Expects you and I to embrace. Jesus embraced trouble to help you and I. And we learn that from the 12. It involves helping others. Here's number six. Betraying Jesus is a big deal. Who do you think of? Yeah, we think of Judas, don't we? Betraying Jesus is a very big deal. 
Look what he says here. Jesus is getting ready to tell the disciples something. In John 6, he's got all these people and he's fed them. And then he starts telling them how they're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And he's saying, you, you've got to consume me and digest me. I want to permeate everything about you. And these people all leave except the 12. And the 12 are all there. And he says, are you guys going to leave too? And remember the response? The 12 say, or else can we go? You have the words of life. And Jesus says these words, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. You know, when it was, when he, when Jesus said that, no one knew who it was. Right? Remember, they're all eating together. And he says, the person who dips their hand in this dish is going to betray me. And they all go, was it me? Who? Me? 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 Who? Who? Why are they saying that? Because everybody was dipping in there with Jesus. Everybody was. And when you start looking at this idea of betrayal, it's a big deal because look what Jesus says in Luke 22. He goes, I must die. It is part of God's plan. But oh, the horror awaiting that man who betrays me. He's warning the twelve. He says, you walk away from me and, oh, you're going to pay. You're going to pay dearly. It's horrible. It's tragic. And when you read about Judas, we find, and I'm looking forward to talking about Judas. Why, Tim? Because he shows us the dumb, stupid things we do because of guilt and shame. Could Judas have come back to Jesus? Absolutely. But he says, oh, what a horrible thing to betray. Why? Because it's that guilt and shame that we get overwhelmed by. You know, it says Judas was filled with remorse. Now, what does that mean? To be filled with remorse. Regret? He's not filled with, look at all the money I got. He's filled with remorse. And so what's he do? He hangs himself. What a dumb thing to do. Why'd you do that, Judas? I just couldn't bear it. Couldn't bear the guilt and the shame. There's a nice, interesting lesson we'll have to remember to point out. You and I can't bear guilt and shame without Jesus. we got to have Jesus to help build that. How do I know that? Because Peter, he denies Jesus and says he weeps bitterly and handles it in such a different way, doesn't he? Over the years, I've watched people fall away and leave God. Some people do quite well. They, their job goes well. They do, everything's going well for them. They're doing a good job. They seem to be happy. I notice that their possessions begin to possess them. It's horror. It's tragic. I've watched people fall away and leave God, leave God out of the picture. And you've seen it too. Their life just blows apart. I never want to experience that. But I want to ask you something, church. I mean, the signs of betraying Jesus are long established before the moment. 
It happens when we subtly back away from Christ. We back away from his teachings. We're not involved. We just kind of put up with it until we're some teenagers put up with it until they're old enough to leave. And the horror they face, the horror that anyone who faces when they walk away from God, it's it is best that they've never been born. That's how bad it is. I do not want to experience that. But that's a that's a tragic lesson that we ha- we can't ignore. That betraying Jesus is a big deal. But there's a seventh lesson that gives us hope. And that is that I can bounce back when I blow it. If we learn anything from the 12, you and I, when we're following Christ, we have setbacks. We blow it. We fall. We fail. It, ha- it's, it naturally is going to happen. Anything worthwhile that you're going to do is going to have setbacks, mistakes. You know, Peter's one of those guys. He's pledging his loyalty to Jesus. He says, you know, I don't care. Uh, I, I, won't, I will never deny you. And what's Jesus say to him? He says, well, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the morning, within hours. Never happened. And what do we find out? It happens. You ever felt like that? Never going to do that again. Only to do it again. And not over a period of weeks. <laughs> Within 24 hours. And here Peter, you know, he's, he's, he has um, denied Jesus. Jesus resurrects. And the angels see these women at the tomb. And look what they say to, the, to these women. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And look what it says. There you will see him just as he told you. I can just see the disciples going, Well, we're going to get to see Jesus again. What do you think of that, Peter? Why did he single me out? He says, Well, I'll see you later. What does that mean? How would you feel? You betrayed Jesus. You've you've denied Jesus. Come on, let's go, Peter. I'll be be there in a minute. And what do we what do we find out? Peter catches up. Where he gets there, and Jesus is singles him out. Singles him out. See, betraying Jesus, denying Jesus is a big deal. And, but it's a big deal that you and I know when we fail, Jesus is inter- interested in restoring. And he says to him, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. I'll feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, of course I love you. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Remember what he says? Uh, only you know. <laughs> you know whether or not. Take care of my sheep. It's almost, what is he doing? Is he giving Peter a chance to reaffirm and reestablish and repeat to kind of offset those denials? Could be. All I know is that Peter begins to hear Jesus now tell him, here's what's going to happen to you, Peter. Oh, what? You're going to do this and this and this and this and people are going to lead you in a place where you don't want to go and you're going to be dressed by them. And, and it and it and it says these it says this that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. He's saying, Peter, you're going to glorify God. 
So follow me. I, I'd like to, I, I think I would say something like, follow me again. You can follow me again. Jesus wants you to know this morning, if you ever fail and if you ever blow it, He wants you to know the same thing He wanted Peter to know. It's not over. It's not over. It can begin again. I know, listen, you know this, many of you know, if you don't know by now, following Jesus is a, is a trip, man. It is challenging. It's hard. Sometimes very difficult. Because He leads us to places and to situations that, oh man, they're hard, hard to handle. And it's when we fail that guilt and shame begins to tug on us and tempt us to do something even more ridiculous. Oh, I can't do this. I might as well just go ahead. And I just want to say to you this morning, if you've done something and you're ashamed of, done something that just makes you feel God-awful, don't let it depress you. Let it direct you to Jesus. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. That he didn't get depressed over it. Discouraged? Yeah. I get discouraged? Yeah. Depressed? Boy, that's when it gets dangerous. No, let it direct you to Jesus. And when you come to Christ again, after a fall, He'll help you bounce back. Here's lesson number eight. Every follower needs a small group. One of the first things Jesus does uh, with with uh, His disciples is He gets them in a group. Look what He says here. He appointed twelve that He might be with them and that He might send them out to preach. So these guys, you read the Scriptures over and over again. The twelve, Jesus and the twelve were here. Jesus and the twelve did this. Jesus is talking and the twelve pick up baskets or the twelve over here or one of the twelve says, but wait a minute, Lord, how in all these teaching moments, all these times together, they're doing all kinds of things together. They have a network, a network that helps each other out. Different people from different backgrounds. You've got Matthew, who's a tax collector, and John on the other side of the of the of the room, who used to eat those kind of people for lunch. They didn't get along, and Jesus expected them to get along. You've got critical people. You've got doubter people. You guys say, "I go to small group, and I get tired of hearing their stories." You follow the disciples for a while and see what, oh, here we go again. Judas is going to bring up money again. I want to go have some money here. I'm running short. Yeah, keep your hands out of the bag, buddy. Notice constantly all this talking, all this networking. They shared, listen, everything together, their highs and their lows, their victories and their defeats. I've asked Allison Osborne, and Michael Gill to share a little bit about if they want to come out. They're going to share just a little bit about why they like being in a small group together. I'm Allison Osborne, and my husband Andrew and I have been part of Mike and Cassie Denius' small group for about the past four years now. And I've been at the church for about 19 years now. It's been a long time. And this small group has been an amazing experience over the past four years. I've met a lot of people that I had no relationship with prior to starting going to this group. And one thing I appreciate about the small group that I'm in is I can be honest and open about where I'm struggling at right now and what I'm dealing with without having to feel like judged, so to speak. 
they do hold me accountable. And I find that it's usually out of encouragement and love that they have for me. They want me to be a better person. They want me to be a better mother to my children. And focus on what's really important in life. My family, my relationship with God. And I don't feel like I would be where I am now had I not had those people in my life to encourage me right now. And then also another thing is, is that our group is packed with children. <laughs> we have the Dissler children, we've got the Danish children, we've got the Gill children. We say we have so many kids in our group right now. And it's also great because our kids are all at different stages of life right now. And I see, you know, like Mike and Cassie have a child that's older, and she usually kind of helps to wrangle the kids up for us while we're focusing. But having a child that's older to look up to is, has been great because my kids are getting to be at that stage. And, you know, we've been looking at this book called Mama Bear Apologetics in our group right now. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. I would suggest reading it. But it's been helping me to see that, you know, my kids are growing up more and more every day. And the people in my group are helping me to realize that we think we have all the time in the world to train these kids and raise them up when we really don't. So many influences out there in the world, and I'm grateful that I have family, extended family from my group that my kids can grow up with, different aunts and uncles that are at different stages of life and spiritual walk. So, thank you. Hi, guys. My name's Michael. I'm in the same group with Allison, uh, with Mike and Cassie and Andrew and uh, the Disslers and and Jason and Eli. We have our, our two single uncles in our group. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but uh, our group is, uh, it means, it's, it, it means the world to me. Um, uh, my wife and I were really considering moving across the country for like the last couple years. And I firmly believe that this group and the relationships I have in it are the catalyst that made us stay. Um, the catalyst that opened up my eyes to go, God wants us here. Um, they have been with me through ups and downs. Um, my life is not perfect at all, all the time. Um, Mike has literally backhanded me across the head. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that's great for every group, um, but he's my brother. Um, like, when my mother calls me, and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm over at Mike's house. She goes, oh, your brother? And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I don't call my brothers my brother. Like, Mike's one of my brothers. Um, that relationship has has just changed everything um, in our small group. It pushes me to be a better father. Um, I can watch how they raise their children. Um, watching Andrew and Allison, how they raise their kids and how they wrangle their kids brings me fear for when my child grows. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, brings me hope because I watch how they, they love them and they care for them. And, and having that type of relationships and those people I can lean on and trust is incredible. Um, guys, uh, Galatians 6.2, it talks about bearing one another's burdens. And these people bear my burdens all the time. And I know someday it's going to come around where I get to bear theirs. And I cannot just tell you enough about how much that that's what small group means to me is the family that I was supposed to have, the family that God made for me, not the family I was born with. That's all. Guys, thank you. <clears throat> lesson number nine. Here's lesson number nine. Following Jesus leads to leadership. 
when I'm following on the path of, of Christ, it is going to include growing personally, but my influence is going to grow as well. Uh, I've, I've heard it said this way, and my son said it this way, Dad, it's, you know, following leads to maturity, and maturity leads to influence, and influence is leadership. And you look at this, look at the twelve, you think, well, where did this happen? Well, remember Judas hung himself so there's an opening, and so the, the eleven get together in the book of Acts and are trying to figure out what do we do? And looking at scripture, uh, they finally find two guys that they're going to, that they've, they, they have in their group that extends beyond the eleven that qualify to fulfill this place of influence, of special influence called leadership. Look here at Acts chapter 1, and look, there were two guys, Justice and Matthias. And so it says, then they used lots to choose between them. Now, the reason they had to cast lots, kind of like flipping a coin today or throwing some dice, the reason they did that is because both these men qualified. And to qualify, you had to be with Jesus from the time he was baptized to the time of his ascension. So that means Matthias and Justice were with Jesus you know, following around with the with the twelve many times, listening to what he was teaching, seeing those situations, hearing those parables, serving in some way, and so when it came time to choose someone, they had to have a, they had only had two, so they flip a coin. Sometimes, you know, uh, you might have to make a choice. It's I don't flip a coin over choices between good and bad. No, that the harder choices are. When I have to choose between good, better, and best. And listen, it's not two out of three. These guys went, you two guys qualify. Lord, which one? Well, we'll just flip a coin. We'll cast lots and see what happens. And sometimes you may have to do that. It's not good to stay in indecision. You need to make up your mind, say, and flipped the coin, whatever they did, or they threw the dice, and the lots, it say, fell to Matthias. So he became an apostle of the other 11. So Matthias steps into uh, a role and takes more responsibility. Now, church, this is important to realize, and we've, we've learned this the easy way and the hard way, and I'd rather learn it the easier way. Hard way is too difficult. And that is that succession is essential for the kingdom of God to move forward. Succession is essential for the church to progress forward. And preparation is essential for succession to take place. I find leadership's roots are in the fellowship that any influence I have is going to, and any anything I can do in a leadership role is going to come down to how I follow Christ. And if I follow him from a distance, Peter did that, it didn't work out well, did it? It's if, if I fo- hit and miss my following, that I'm not working on growing and, and, and uh, improving how I follow Christ, then the influence I have, listen to me, listen to me now, this is very important. The leadership isn't just in this congregation. It's in your home. The kind of parent you're going to be. And I say that to every young person that hasn't even married yet. The kind of mother and dad you're going to be is all going to be rooted in the influence you have on your kids. 
Parents, am I right about this? Those of you who have some influence, no influence, little influence, a lot of influence, is it somehow directed to the way you follow Christ? Am I, am I a joke up here now? Isn't it? Well, you made it be, now you're making me feel guilty. It's not about guilt. It's just, it's about, about some wisdom here. I know at any time if I want to be a better parent, and I'm still parenting my sons, mind you. As a grandparent, I want to be involved in those grandkids. It's going to take time with them and time with Jesus if I'm going to have a positive impact on them. And I can decide to start doing that and improve that any time I want. And see, Matthias, he'd been on the sidelines. He'd been in the background. He'd been watching and he'd been preparing for that moment. And then it finally came. I'm excited to see young adults stepping up. It's exciting to see young adults stepping up in so many different ministries right now. We have a mom's group. I am so excited to see young younger group step up. You say, oh, you, you, oh I'm old, so I'm... No, 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 don't do it that way. Just think about this. It's good to have some young people. Listen... The yard was became smaller at my house when my children could start mowing. Okay? I'm just saying, when we have younger folks involved, it takes something off of me. It's exciting to see some 30-somethings taking hold of the office, like Nicole and Cassie, and trying to improve how we communicate. It's exciting to see some of you stepping into the First impressions ministry. I'm watching. I'm watching one of our children, Allison's daughter, going, Happy Easter! And, and these guests are going, Well, yeah, Happy Easter! I'm like, You say that so well. Just so excited about that. It's exciting to see some younger faces. Not the, I, I'm an old face. We'll get to me in a minute. It's good to see some you know, Carolee and some younger faces. You know, she's decided to stay. I'm so glad she's helping us in some areas. It's good to see people stepping into some things, stepping into the kids' ministry. You got Leslie Harder's back there registering kids. It's good to see that kind of activity. By the way, she's not as young as some of these other people I've mentioned, but she's willing to step in. It has to happen. And, and the thing is, church, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. People are going to step out of the way. They'll die. They'll, they'll get hurt. They'll get sick. They've reached their, their, the time they should go and move on to something else. There are different chapters. All of this is true. Some people leave God. That happens in leadership. We've seen it happen. Am I right? Sometimes... Openings are made because a church has the courage and the faith to try to plant a church somewhere else. Even this pulpit, it's a, not only is there a parade of people that I've preached over the years, some of you have not been here when we first started, I've watched the faces change, the faces up here change too. You know, Tim, are you retiring? Yeah. When are you going to retire? I'm not sure. 
But I know, I hope I have the wisdom and the faith to step out aside or step out of the way so somebody else can step into this. Because honestly, folks, some people don't want to hear a senior citizen. They want to hear somebody closer to their age. Yes, they want to hear wisdom. I get that. They want to hear somebody that makes their friends feel welcome and things like that. And you be praying. We we need to have a succession of men and women constantly coming through the ranks. I, yet, the other day I had a picture of our our, our uh, company. We uh, Denise Davison had retired, and we got a picture of us all. And there we are. I'm standing there. Alan's standing there. You know, Denise Davison's there. Danny is there. Tom is there. All of us are older. Then I see Amanda and Ashley and Levi and there's Devin over there and there's Mike. I mean, all younger. And I thought, wow, it was so exciting to see new energy, young energy. And here's Matthias who's been on the sidelines. He's been watching and the opportunity comes and they will come. And what's he do? He steps into it. And see, leadership, for the church to have leaders, for our families, our communities to have leadership, it's got to be filled with people who are willing to follow the path of preparation. Everybody wants to be in front. I'm sorry. A lot of people, some of you here, have this desire to be in front, and you've never really followed that well makes it very difficult. You know, why? Because when you're following with other followers, when you start leading, they begin to be influenced and they'll follow you. It's when we just throw people in places, and we've done that, and, we, and it's, it's been tragic, guys. But, it, but it's so important we understand that following Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to lead to some leadership of some sort. I don't want to be a leader. Oh, you shouldn't have become a follower. If you're going to follow, you're going to, you're going to find yourself moments where the opportunity is going to come. And I'm encouraging you to have the courage and the faith to take it. To take it. Number 10. Jesus can change anyone. If there's anything we know about the 12, he changed all those guys, didn't he? You know, you got John who was, who was such a violent, Call down lightning. Let's call down some lightning on these people. Turns into the apostle of love. Look at, why is that? He would write about love more than any of the twelve. Look what he says. A new commandment. He's quoting Jesus. I give you this. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I want you to know, a parent, a mom needs to hear this. A mom, you need to hear this. God can change your daughter. Jesus can change your daughter. I think a, there's a son, maybe a son and a daughter that need to hear this. God can change your parents. I, I'll tell you, God, God will change your parents when you, you start changing. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I am, I am my mother's son. I am a mama's boy. And I found out, not only does mom have influence on me, I got a little influence on her. And if she's watching, you know what I'm saying. Because I heard a parent say this one time, when you get my kids, you get me. There's some truth in that. 
And I just noticed that when when we reach out to kids, yeah, and they and their lives change, it has an impact. Don't underestimate your impact as a young person on your parents. It it will change them. Every listen, every employer, Jesus can change. Any employer, any employee, any friend. You've met we've met these people, oh, they're too far gone. Or they're they'll they're the last person that's gonna listen to listen about Jesus Christ. That's the last student at Lewis and Clark or SIUE or whatever high school. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen about Jesus. They're turned off by Jesus. I want you to know, Jesus can change anyone. Anyone, including you. Number 11. I must face my doubts as I follow Jesus. Is it normal to have doubts as you follow Jesus? Yes. Let's take the pressure off here. Yes, it is normal. We're going to have doubts. Man, the disciples are going, who is this guy? I mean, even the winds and the waves obey him. Or I don't know how we're going to feed everybody. All we got is kids' lunch. There's lots of doubts. What, what, you ever had anybody say this to you? You're such a doubting Thomas. Where'd that come from? The twelve. I'm not going to believe it till I put my finger in it and then I see the nail prints and the hand goes here and I'm not, you got to see it to believe it. Week later, the Bible says, Jesus appeared. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Put your hand in my guts. Feel in that rib cage. Here, feel that. What do you think? Slimy? Ew. And what does he say? Stop doubting. And believe. Is it normal to have doubts? Yes. But it's not normal to keep them. I must address them. I've got to deal with them. I've got a couple of books up here besides Mama Bear Apologetics that's been recommended to us. These are a couple of books I've, I've been looking at as well. This is written by J. Warner Wallace. The left one is Cold Case Christianity. He is a homicide detective that weighs evidence. And he goes in and he just looks at a crime scene and he can, and he uses his skills as a homicide detective to look at Christianity. And the first chapter, he says, the first thing you need to realize if you're going to be a good investigator is don't be a know-it-all. You don't know everything. For us, many times as Christians, we're thinking we got to put on this front like we are so solid and we know everything and all the arguments and we don't know that much. We don't know how to talk to people. Sometimes we have doubts. We're not even sure about the evidence. What evidence is really out there? See, when I was a teenager, it was Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. That was the book, the only book I could find out there. Bought it. Still have it. Cost me 20 bucks. And when you're a camper, 20 bucks is like a year's salary. And now we have all these great books that, that, that break down for us how to determine if what we believe what we should believe makes sense. Is it true and reasonable? This book on the right, this is a book that I'm using uh, uh, some of the ideas for church camp this year, primary week. We're teaching children 6 to 11 years old about how to be critical thinkers. We're not not going to say to them, well, here's the reasons you should obey the Bible or listen to the Bible or believe this. We're going to say, let's figure out how we come to a conclusion that we can trust the Bible. We can believe in the creation of God. 
We're talking seven-year-olds, folks. And this book, I would highly recommend. It takes it took me about an hour to read the one on the right. That one there is a little thicker on the left. But that one there, same author. He has a website you can go to, and he has two other books you can and you can go through this with your kids and learn how to teach them to be to pick out the lies, to be better at gathering evidence. Because we're going to face doubts, but will we? If the information is available, will we bother to investigate? See, I can, I want you to know, I'm wanting to do a series on apologetics. But you may be waiting a while. And I, I want to tell you, just like you would say, well, I don't want the church to, maybe you're one of these people. I'd like the church to do a little bit more about apologetics. Well, while we're on the topic, how about you do a little more investigating on your own too? We'll, we'll work on this. You work on that. Because there's answers that we don't, I'm not even sure we can even address or questions that you might have that we might not might address, but you can find those answers. And it's books like these that really help. And number 12, ah, we're at number 12. It's never too late to start following Jesus. This is perhaps my favorite one. Never too late. I mean, you look at the 12, you can't ignore the Apostle Paul. I'm looking forward to this lesson. I'm calling it the Baker's Dozen. You know, he's, he came later. <laughs> he's the 13th guy. It's never too late to start following Jesus. Paul followed Jesus about seven years after Jesus resurrected. In fact, look what he says here. The Messiah died for our sins. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. The Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried... He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and is still alive. And he, he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. He goes on to say a lot of other people and even James. And finally, he was seen by me as though I were born abnormally late. I came late into the picture. It doesn't matter. You got here. And maybe you're somebody, you know, you go, man... Most people, I'm not, you know, most people, you know this statement, most people become Christians before the age of 20. Oh, I, I'm over 20 and, you know, uh, man, can I still, can you teach an old dog new tricks? You're not a dog. You're a human being made in the image of God and yes, you can learn and you can start following. It's never too late. You say, well, I've, I used to follow. I was really excited as a teenager and I've gotten back. It's probably too late for me to get back in. Oh, no, 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 no. It's never too late to get back in. You can get back in. Oh, why not? Why not? There's a card in your bulletin. And this simple card is, is it's a time you can respond to this lesson. You know, when you fill them out and you, you can put them in those baskets in the back along with your contribution if you want to do that, uh, we we have a prayer team, a team of people that pray and they go over those cards and they look them over and they pray for you. It is, there's no request too silly. We had a guy one time, just to see if people were taking this card seriously, write, I want you to pray for my cousin Luke Skywalker. He's having some trouble with a Death Star. And we pulled the card. It was anonymous. We pulled the card and talked about it in leadership, and it was one of our leaders that did it, just to see if anybody really read the cards. I want you to know people 
read those cards. Caring people and people that believe in prayer. Now, this prayer thing is a big deal. It's what we value at Greater Alton. One of the things we value at Greater Alton. And while we do, we pray together on Sundays, we pray together in groups, and we pray together personally, and there's a team of people that pray for you. And I don't know about you, but when my mother was in the ambulance and heading to the hospital, this guy believed in the power of prayer, and she said, would you pray for me? Because I need all the help I can get. Thank God. She had somebody in that ambulance that wanted to pray. And we have a group of people here that want to pray for you. And so take advantage of that. Credible lessons, aren't they? And I hope you'll join me next week as we just dig a little deeper into these, these, uh, the 12 and learn how to be a reasonable follower. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for today's, this, I had a, this was a lot of fun to look at your word, to get so much out of it. And Father, we thank you for the, the food we're going to be eating. We're going to be sticking around and enjoying. And Father, we pray as we have conversation that we'll, we'll enjoy each other's company honor you and even perhaps have a spiritual conversation that uh, could be so life-changing. Thank you for everyone here, Father. Thank you for them coming. I know some, you know, there may be a few of them here that uh, they're not as interested, but I, I want to thank you. They're here. And um, bless them. Bless, bless their lives, Father. Bless us with confidence. Help us learn the lessons that we need to learn from these 12, the very first followers of Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.